0: Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Kochiola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Friday, November 5th. We're talking Virginia Tech football. The Hokies take on Boston College tonight in Chestnut Hill. Hokies haven't won in Chestnut Hill since 2017, so they need to get off the time there. We're also going to preview Hokies men's basketball. It's basketball season, Tim. Basketball season right around the corner. Uh, we're going to look at week nine in the ACC, recap that action, week 10 in the ACC coming up, make some picks, do some lines. But before all that, Tim, chop on.
1: I, I love to hear you say that. And I could list, This podcast could be nothing but you repeating chop on for 60 minutes, and I think that would uh, be fine with me. It's an amazing feeling when your team finally wins a World Series after decades of playoff failures, and to do it against a team – as uh, honorable as the Houston Astros just made it even so, sweeter. So
0: honorable. Really the uh, the epitome of of ethics in sports. Um, that's on my wall, Tim. Yeah. Little, little Orioles action. And hey, you know, that's not going to make for good audio. We're on YouTube for the first time. So if... You guys like watching YouTube videos instead of listening on a uh, Spotify app or Apple Podcast and jump over to YouTube, Chowder and Gritch channel. We'll, uh, we'll blast it out, watch it's there. But yeah, I was just showing the Baltimore Orioles uh, hex head art sign that I have hanging up. And, you know, I was happy for the Braves. I was pulling for the Braves, you know, grew up in Richmond, went to a ton of Richmond Braves games, watched so many guys go through that. Triple um, A system and and go on to Atlanta. So I was happy for the Braves. Um, I just always wonder this time of year what it's like to watch your favorite team even just play in a World Series. <laughs>
1: it's got to be difficult for you. I um, don't know
0: that. Don't know that feeling. It's never yeah, happened nah, in I, my lifetime.
1: Look, I respect you Orioles guys. That's not a you know that's not a fun place to be. Thirty three. But um, you know. Adley Rutschman, right? They're prospects. They're yeah. always prospects in the pipeline. Adley got with Grayson Baltimore.
0: Rodriguez coming up. DL Hall. There you go. So, you know, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. But Tim, you're um, you're a new homeowner.
1: I am again. Yeah. Feels real nice. Exactly. The only problem is you are out memorabiliaing me right now. Mm. I've got what is the white conversion van version of a basement right now. So yeah. So hopefully I'll be able to get. Some stuff hung up now that I'm not in D.C. Because we moved on the weekend, and then on Monday I was in D.C., so I haven't had really time to do anything.
0: No, I get that. It took me a uh, quite a while to get this place set up, but I've got um, I got a bunch of stuff in here. What I wanted to mention, the first thing I noticed was you didn't have a picture of, of me.
1: Well, that's and because it's I mean, I've got facing a me right of you,
0: now. right here <laughs> on my desk. Every you would day. have that a Tim is
1: book. That is, that is correct. That is correct. So It
0: looks like you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so we're, we're glad you're here. We um, took a little time off last week. We had some uh, life things get in the way, um, as that does occasionally happen. We weren't abandoning ship on, on you after uh, an abysmal loss to, to Syracuse um, at home, which we'll talk about briefly. Uh, Hokies obviously rebounded with the win last week against Georgia Tech, but let's start off with uh, with some basketball, Tim. We're gonna start off with basketball Absolutely. tonight. It's gonna be some fun. I'm good with that. Uh, I'm super excited. So next Tuesday, I believe November ninth, November ninth is the day the Hokies open up against Maine. Okay, so um, not a not a tough Black opponent Bears. there, but it's just gonna be uh, be great to see Mike Young and the Virginia Tech Hokies back on the basketball court. Um, some of the key dates for you. So we've got November 24th, NIT season tip-off. First matchup is going to be with number 12, Memphis. That's going to be in Brooklyn. And then the other two teams playing in that uh, are Xavier and Iowa State. So um, win-lose, you still got some solid programs you're going up against. So that's, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I love November men's college basketball because you have so many, like, awesome just little – I don't even know what you call them, like pocket tourneys. You've got the NIT season tip-off, you know, Thanksgiving week. You've got the Maui Invitational, uh, which the Hokies played in a couple years ago. You've got, I don't know, all kinds of things. So you just keep, uh, every time you turn into ESPN, there's there's some kind of basketball tournament going on. Um, Well, that app
1: just is crucial this time of year. I mean, when college basketball starts, and virtually every college basketball game is now televised, That means there is never not sports on. Um, And whether that be, you know, a throwaway game with Lafayette and Lehigh or, you know, whoever else is playing. Some of the best games I watched last year were those small colleges going at it on ESPN 3 with, you know, an announcer who's probably a sophomore comm major over there just going wild at every basket. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm excited for that uh, season to roll around.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. So some of the other big matchups, and I mean, I'm going to go through them and. Most of the big matchups are before January 1st, which is interesting. So you've got December 1st, Big Ten ACC matchup. Hokies uh, are playing number 21, Maryland. Uh, December 4th is the ACC opener against Wake Forest. That's in Castle Coliseum. December 17th, you've got the Basketball Hall of Fame shootout. That's against number 23, St. Bonaventure. And then you follow that up with two road games at number nine Duke on December 22nd and number 19 UNC on December 29th. So before January 1st rolls around, before 2022 strikes the calendar, there's going to be a lot that we know about this basketball team. I mean, that is uh, quite the slate um, heading into kind of the bulk of conference play. And then after the new year, You've got a road game at UVA on January 12th, Um, then you're on the road at FSU, you're only playing FSU once, Uh, that's January 29th, Uh, and then, you know, a really kind of lovely matchup against uh, the Wahoos on Valentine's Day, which is super sweet, if you ask me, and then you host UNC on February 19th, then you just throw in a bunch of the other kind of mid-tier programs in the ACC with NC State, Clemson, things like that, so um, a lot of high-profile matchups, a lot of opportunity for for Virginia Tech to add some respect to their name. I'm I'm a little surprised they weren't in the in the top twenty five to start the season. I mean, yeah. you know we're looking at uh, a bunch of preseason polls. You know like the way too early polls and things like that. And you know we saw Virginia Tech as high as I didn't go back and check, but I want to say like twelve to fifteen range. And yeah. uh, now they're just unranked, which. You know, any college basketball preview you read about the ACC, it's almost like Virginia Tech doesn't exist, which is interesting because they made the the NCAA tournament last year. Um, And there was even an article on ESPN previewing the ACC, and they talked about the top four teams, in their opinion, which was Duke, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, and Florida State. And then some of the others that made the tournament last year Clemson NC State they make the tournament last year no
1: nope.
0: uh, another one and they just didn't they didn't even mention Virginia Tech um, which was shocking but then they say oh the team that we're overlooking is Virginia Tech so that's where they came up in the article so uh, pretty interesting um, but you know that'll obviously settle itself on the court um, let's let's take a look at some of the guys returning to him some of the guys that I like so you've got Kevin Luma, obviously. Uh, named the preseason All-ACC team. He um, was an absolute stud last year. Did mm-hmm. struggle in some of the big games uh, last year uh, against North Carolina in the ACC tournament. Um, was okay in the uh, NCAA tournament game. But ended up averaging fifteen points eight rebounds. He was really kind of the only big man that Virginia Tech had. Um, and I... Th- think they're gonna have a few more options there this year at least it feels like um if you look at the guards i mean you've got justin Mutz who's coming back you know he's
1: he's a dog he's
0: a game changer you know i think he's Mm -hmm. like the biggest game changer tech has had since deron washington as far as like a guy who can go out there and like just change the momentum on one play whether it's a a block whether it's a big dunk i mean that guy just has like a tremendous amount of power um, in that yeah. uh, in that profile of his um, and then you got Naheem, Aline, and Hunter Couture So, you know those those five are probably going to be, or those that, that core group there is probably going to be in your starting five. And then you add in um, a guy in Storm Murphy that we talk about that we'll talk about in a second as far as one of the newcomers. But you know Aline shot almost forty one percent from three last year. Um, from all accounts, he looks even better in camp this year. Um, Couture is going to be a guy who's probably in and out of the starting lineup depending on the matchup, but somebody right. who is going to be a sharpshooter off the bench and, and really um, be somebody that the Hokies rely on. And then, you know, David and Goosen. I, am I saying that right?
1: That's a tough one, man. Yeah, I can't remember, to remember the pronunciation. Right um, yeah.
0: But average almost 10 minutes per game as uh, a true freshman last year. He's somebody that Mike Young has been super high on um, in uh, in the preseason press. So I'd look for him to really kind of play that uh, complementary role to um, Aluma when Aluma comes out of the lineup or potentially even being in the lineup at the same time. You know, he'll give the Hokies some much-added size. And then, you know, you've got guys like John Ojiaku and Darius Maddox. Ojiak is a guy who's really battled injury, but it sounds like um, – you know, he's, he's going to be able to contribute at least a little bit this year. Darius Maddox hasn't really been getting a ton of buzz. I mean, if you uh, think back to, to him, he was highly touted. Um, I think he was a top 80 recruit in the 2020 class. You'd like to think he's going to have a role this year. We just haven't really heard his name much from, from Mike Young. So something to watch there. But any, um, any other comments there as far as, you know, just returning and kind of what to expect?
1: No, I mean, what to expect, we kind of have a good idea of based on what we've seen. I mean, we all know the system. Um, We know the strengths. Right now, obviously, the strengths in the team are one through five. Both can stretch the floor, and I think that's huge. It's a huge weapon as far as defensive matchups go and mismatches in particular. Um, So being able to stretch the floor with literally any one of your players is a huge advantage, especially in a Mike Young offense, which relies so much on ball movement on the perimeter, trying to find that three-point shot being that it's predicated on it, even if the shooters aren't the best, which we've seen has been a little bit of an issue in years past, and that's not me picking on anyone in particular. Um, but, you know, you get shooters that may not shoot the ball well, wide open looks, it doesn't always work out in your favor, and that was an Achilles heel that would pop up time to time. The good news is now, um, with this roster, you're basically going to have anybody that gets open is going to, should be able to pull the three with no hesitation. Um you know, I feel like it's a strong roster for a Mike Young-style team. Um, a lot of good passers, which I think is a huge key to this offense being successful. Uh, you know, one of the issues, and I don't know how big of an issue is going to be, is there's not a lot of athleticism that jumps off the page um, when you look down the roster. And where I see that maybe being an issue is defense. Um, you know, this isn't a team that I expect to play extremely good defense. I think it will be a little tough. Um, interior exterior it could be rough i mean that could be a problem but i think if you're going into this season you're planning on out shooting everyone anyway so depending on the shots falling you know you should be fine but an off night having to fall back on that defense you know we'll have to see the jury's still out on that um but other than that you know we've got to rebound well and last year was hard you know aluma i thought rebounded extremely well given the task that was put in front of him but at times against bigger teams you mentioned north carolina um you could tell they really wanted to pick on and they they went after him physically um and you could see at times it affected his game and um you know i think Aluma will be able to be played at the four a little bit more we won't be relying on him as a, as a five in that case as much although he's obviously going to be able to give you minutes there um i'm excited i mean as far as the mike young style of basketball i think this team is far more suited for that style and what he wants to do than any other team he's had just because of the three-point prowess of the players that we have on the roster and the ability to stretch the floor. It's, it's something we haven't had to this point.
0: Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point defensively. I mean, I'd say probably their best defender is Justin Mutz as far as like the guys who are going to be starting. Uh, you know I don't know if Radford was a great defender but what he gave you was you know rebounding and you know the ability to to block some shots so he he was
1: and the ability to create his own shot in a way that is also offensively relentless uh,
0: big loss especially just from like you said creating your own shot and then the offensive rebounding you know he um, small in stature but the guy just knows cool. how to rebound. I mean, he's a phenomenal rebounder. So that, that is a big loss. Probably one of the reasons I think Virginia Tech dropped out of the top 25 in the preseason poll was um, Radford's yeah. dismissal from the team and, and going on to uh, to Texas A&M. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Wabisa Be is another guy who, you know, not known for his offense, but, you know, big-time kind defense. of defender, very physical. Um, so, you know that's a guy who will be missed in in certain uh, situations but um, if we kind of look at arrivals and the guy who's gonna be replacing Bay Day is storm Murphy um, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know depending on you know what interview you're listening in stormer rat paperboy um, you never know what Mike <laughs> Young is gonna a call one. the guy but um, <laughs> you know he he seems to be a pretty big fan and you know, uh, Murphy was a four-year starter at Wofford, started 120 out of 126 games. His first two years, Mike Young was there. Keve Lumo was there. So there's definitely some some chemistry um, that he's going to bring in. And then, you know, before Mike Young came here, that Wofford team made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament. So um, right. they've been there before. That's some good experience. I think he's going to fit in perfectly with this team and give them a, a dynamic uh, threat there at the um at the point guard position and somebody who can score i mean virginia tech really hasn't had that since since justin robinson and um you know robinson was a huge part of that sweet 16 team um obviously was a leader on the on the floor and i i really kind of expect murphy to pick up that role uh he averaged almost 18 points three rebounds four assists per game last year um so you know, I think that's just big time production that the Hokies are going to look for. Um, you also add into the mix Sean Padula at point guard, who uh, sounds like he's going to play a fairly big role. So Mike Young seems to be pretty, pretty high on this kid. Highly touted, he was the number two player in the state of Oklahoma, 165th overall in the recruiting class, and uh, should really give the Hokies uh, some nice, nice production off the bench at the point guard position. Um, and then another arrival, Lynn Kidd at center, um, only played one year at Clemson uh, before transferring. Um, but you know, probably somebody who can who can play in that um, that center role um, when needed, um, but didn't play a whole lot at Clemson. So it'll kind of be remain to be seen, kind of what he uh, what he can do. Anything um, I missed there from an arrival standpoint? Anything you're looking forward to?
1: No, I think you're spot on. I think all eyes are on Storm at the moment. Um, you know, he seems a guy, to be a guy that can do quite a few different things to help your team win ball games offensively. Um, you know, he certainly got the stat line to back it up. And, you know, from a team that still played pretty well every year he was there. Um, it's a good addition. It's a much-needed addition. I, I think the big thing is, like you've already mentioned, uh, Boots transferring off the team. It hurts because he's kind of the one player we don't have right now. The one archetype we're missing is that kind of guy that can go out in the paint and slug it out and come out with a a layup or, um, you know, a contested shot that can go in. Um, When I think of players like that, I think of uh, Julius Hodge for NC State, a guy that it was almost like street ball when he was in because he wasn't much of a shooter, but the guy could literally go to the paint, get fouled, and get you a bucket just about every time. Um, and right now I think that's going to be the important piece to identify is where's our guy that when the clock is winding down to, you know, zero, zero, who, who, where's the ball, you know, we're going to need somebody that's going to be able to penetrate. And I'm not saying we don't have it. I think that's just going to be somebody we're going to have to identify and ensure there's potential in the team. That guy's probably already on the roster. Um, but that's who I'm looking for because I think. At times, when you needed a bucket last year and that clock was winding down, I know I would have wanted it in Boots's hands, um, just because you know what he can do, go into the dish. I, I would uh, think and,
0: Aluma and Mutz would be the guys that you would expect to be able to go in, drive to the basket, be able to score. I mean,
1: Yeah, Mutz, Mutz, I think, you know, Aluma, I think he can give Aluma you that too. more but finesse, I, less power. He's more of a finesse guy. Um, but he but can yeah, create Mutz, the shot I think inside. Mutz could be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'll see who it ends up being, but I think identifying that person is gonna be is gonna be important and we'll see early on at least who they try to get uh, you know, penetrating and, and scoring some easy buckets. So we'll see.
0: So I mean I think you're starting five, Tim, it's Murphy, Aline, Kator, Mutzaluma to start the season. Um Yep. No particular order there as far as position goes, but That's kind of what I would suspect. Um, I'm sure you'll see it kind of mixed up as the season wears on or injuries or whatever uh, the team has to deal with. But, you know, ACC-wise, this team was picked to finish fifth. Um, You know, we talked about them being overlooked. Um, The ACC isn't what it was. I mean, it's not this elite basketball conference anymore. Um, it can definitely get back to that, but you know Duke and North Carolina have not been what they what they have been. Um, and you've got Duke; they're the highest-ranked ACC team at number nine. Um, this is Coach K's last season. Um, you know everyone is drooling over this Paolo Branchero kid, who you know he's going to be another one and done for the Blue Devils. So you know we'll see how that works out. Um, I kind of look back to the year Virginia Tech played Duke in the Sweet 16 with Zion Williamson and um, what's the kid on the Knicks now, the um, power forward, um, the 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 two to Zion at Duke. You know what I'm talking about. He went like number two in the draft, I think, or number three. Can't remember his name. Yeah, um, Justice Winslow. No, not Justice Winslow. Okay. <laughs> Just um, throwing out a Duke name there. Yeah, he, he plays on the Knicks. I see his face. I can't remember his name right now. Um, and you had guys like, uh, man, I am blanking on this entire team. The kid who was drafted by the Bulls. But anyways, you know, that team was um, supposed to win the national championship. You had Zion Williamson who, you know, he's this, like, unbelievable talent. You know, he's going to be, like, the next LeBron James Um, at least that's what he was being touted up to be. And then, you know, they get to the Elite Eight. They almost lose in the Sweet 16 to Tech in overtime. Um, and that's really kind of what Duke has been. I mean, they, they won the National Championship in 2015. They really haven't done much since. They've gotten to a couple of Elite Eights. They haven't been to the Final Four since 15. They haven't won the ACC outright since 2006. Wow. And... The last time they won the ACC tournament was 2010. So Duke is Duke. Um, You know, I I mean, they're going to be solid this year. I expect them to make the tournament, something they couldn't do last season. Um, Then you look at UNC, you know, Roy Williams is retired. Insert Hubert Davis. Me personally, I'm not on the Hubert Davis wagon. I think I give him a year and a half before he's probably, you know, escorted off the premises of Chapel Hill. And nothing against Hubert just doesn't strike me as, as the guy.
1: Um, you don't want to be the guy that follows up the legend. That's, I mean, that's a tough one for anybody.
0: Yeah, I just think. we'll see. It was a weird we'll hire see. to me. It was just a weird hire. Um, but it is what it is. So we'll see what happens. And, I mean, UNC is a team that's very similar to what they were last year. So um, mm-hmm. they're a team that got much better as the season went on, I felt like. Uh, but they were a team that really struggled with, with foul troubles. They, they seemed to be undisciplined at times. Um, and they, they just didn't seem to have, like, the one dude that a lot of these, like, top-tier basketball programs have. So, remains to be seen yeah. what UNC yeah. will be. They're going to be a tough out. Um, Florida State, to me, is the best team in the ACC. Yep. I don't know why we can't give Florida State respect. Um they were picked to finish third, I think, in the ACC, behind Duke and North Carolina, of course, because Duke and North Carolina are called Duke and North Carolina. Um, but right. what uh, what Leonard, Leonard Hamilton has built there um, is is pretty impressive, and he's always got experience. He's always got size. He's always got super physical players. Really, what yep. Florida State has struggled to do is get get through the tournament. Um, they just yeah. seem to to really kind of shy away from that moment for whatever reason or come up short. And they've really been the highest-seeded ACC team the last uh, couple of seasons. So we'll see what Florida State can do. But, you know, as far as my top five finish, Tim, I've got Florida State. I threw Duke in there at two. I've got Virginia Tech three. I've got UNC four. And I've got UVA five. I think UVA... um, They've lost quite a bit. I don't know if they've got any, like, dudes on that team. I mean, they're going to be solid. They're going to be tough to play against. It's a Tony Bennett coach basketball team. They're going to be able to beat anybody. Um, But they don't really scare me this year. Yeah. So.
1: No, I mean, they don't scare you, but UVA, the the system and the coaching is so good. They can beat anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so much less about dudes in Charlottesville than any other team. Um, so I feel very confident. Five or six is where you're going to see the Cavaliers. And I'm with you on, you know, they don't have the dudes thing, um, but they run a system and they have a team dedicated to that style of play in a way that pretty much no one else in the conference does. Um, and you just see Tony Bennett, he gets the most out of whatever he's got because of that. And so I'm not betting against the Who's at all.
0: So, you know, what do you got? I, I what's, your, State, what's your top five?
1: I mean, it would be somewhat similar to yours. I don't really see anybody else sneaking in there. Um, you know, I, I think UNC, maybe I'd have them in UVA flip flopped. Uh, you know, we agree on FSU. I, I think FSU, what it makes FSU special is they're so balanced every year, they never have a hole. Right, like other teams sometimes they're tall, they're athletic, but maybe they can't shoot. Or they can shoot the eyes out, but they're not tall or athletic, or any combination of said three pieces. FSU always has height. Always. I mean they are never short on the height front. They always have great athletes on the perimeter and the interior. It's not one of those teams where they got one or two good athletes. They've got a bunch of great athletes. And even more important than all that. They always got at least one guy that can shoot the eyes out on that basketball team. And, and, you know, I'm talking about impressive shooting when you think back to Bacon and what he did. And they've always got one guy like that that's just an absolute stud. And so I expect FSU to continue to be the same balanced basketball team. And, yeah, Leonard Hamilton, man. I mean, the guy doesn't get the love he deserves, I think, nationally. I mean, people should be talking about him more than they do. Uh, But FSU, they just, man... If you told me 15 years ago, 10 years ago, we'd be talking about FSU like this, I wouldn't have believed it. Um, and then compared
0: are. to where they're at, compared to their football team.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, no kidding. I mean, the Seminoles would love for those two programs to switch places, but uh, you you couldn't talk about two more dissimilar trajectories. It's crazy, yeah. absolutely crazy.
0: Yeah, no. So I mean, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun season. You know, you got to. Uh... You know, for those on YouTube, you gotta get your popcorn ready. Um, That's right. I got one uh, in a
1: box somewhere.
0: You know, can't wait to see Mike Young go out there and do his thing, and just wait to see what he says in these press conferences and post-game interviews, and you know, just kind of uh, enjoy all that. But let's uh, let's jump over to football, Tim, Um, and of course, you know, let's to to finish it off like. You know, I think Virginia Tech can easily make uh, the tournament this year. They should make the tournament. The expectation is to make the tournament. Um, I'd say Sweet Sixteen is—I uh, don't want to say expected, but if you want to put some some expectations on the program, I'd say Sweet Sixteen, and then see where you can go from there. Basically, but um, yeah. this is definitely a Sweet Sixteen caliber basketball program, if you know, guys stay healthy and they're not dealing with, you know, some, some unforeseen circumstances. So, uh, it'll be fun. Hopefully Agreed. they can get back there and, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see where it goes.
1: I'm excited, man. College basketball is special. Uh, you know, it all always rolls around at the right time. And unfortunately we need this distraction. And I say, unfortunately it was the same way last year. Um, it, it, it's good to have them back. And again, watch ESPN, man. It's the way to go. I don't know if I can quad box it on the Apple TV, but I'm gonna try.
0: Yeah, you probably can. I don't know.
1: I haven't tried I hope that. So before. I mean, they're the only streaming device with the quad box. I didn't I even really I didn't know, know they, they had music. that
0: capability. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. have to look at that. Um, right. So let's jump into football. I don't want to talk a lot about Syracuse because it's just gonna upset me. Um, let's not. You know. Are, are you an can Office you fan too? Can you edit tent? in the final
1: score in post here? What's what that? was the
0: final score? I don't even have it written down. That's how like mad I was.
1: I've purged it from my I mind. Mean, I can tell you how it ended roughly.
0: Yeah, I know how it ended. Um Are do you do you watch The Office?
1: Mm-hmm. Or have
0: you seen The Office? Yeah, so Absolutely. Remember Andy and Ryan? Yeah. Yeah, so Andy gets promoted to regional manager. After, right. you know, Michael Scott leaves and there's this, like, Will Ferrell character that, that runs through, And, <laughs> yeah. you know, the uh, the James Bond guy, uh, whatever his name is, um, he's in... Idris um, Elba. Yeah. <clears throat> and he becomes regional manager of a paper sales company. Never made a sale. <laughs> Literally could right. not make a sale but here he is in this leadership sales position you've got Ryan who somehow still hanging around who's this like fraud criminal bum (laughs) right you know but they're there they always find a way into the building and honestly after watching that game I just felt like our entire staff was made up of Andy and Ryan's Um, you could
1: make that case
0: You know, and I think what was most frustrating about that game was uh, Syracuse's defense was um, not playing to the level that they had traditionally played, right? And then offensively, you got a guy like Malachi Thomas step up, he emerges, you know, he's making some big plays. And so finally, your offense was doing enough to win the game, which is really all we've been asking from this offense all year. To just keep us in the football game. And then on the flip side, the defense absolutely wets the bed.
1: Yeah, it wasn't pretty on the defensive side of the football, that's for sure.
0: And you've got a guy like Garrett Schrader, who, from a passing standpoint, probably one of the worst passers in the ACC. Maybe in power five quarterbacks, to be honest and he's out there lighting you up. Um, That, to me, was just the most infuriating part about that football game. It wasn't that Sean Tucker was having success and that he was pleased with his performance. It wasn't that Garrett Schrader could move the ball on the ground. We kind of expected that to happen. It was the success they found through the air, and, you know, the last play of the game, like, you look at the photo, you know, Dorian Strong was right there so I can't even say it was bad defense I mean he was right there you look at his arm I mean it's a game of inches right and it just it went it went against Virginia Tech um but it's just everything that kind of led up to that point um it was just kind of like the icing on the cake and for me it cemented the future of of the staff um yeah, I in, agree. And whether, you know, how, however that shapes up. And um, I wasn't expecting Wit to come out and make an announcement and fire Fuente on Monday. Because that's just not how Wit operates. Like, he just doesn't do that. Um, I, I stay off mes- message boards. I signed up for a 247 subscription last year, two years ago, just to kind of see what was going on. It reaffirmed my hate. For message boards because everybody <laughs> knows something, right? Um, so I don't even anything I see on a message board, I just assume it's you know fraudulent. Um, you just
1: sound like you're mad because you don't have any sources, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't have any sources. Um, that's
1: insider envy, baby.
0: Yeah, no, I know a guy that's what they say. I know a guy well, I know who three knows guys. this guy who knows this GA on the staff of Georgia Tech. Who knows the GA at Virginia Tech, and he said, "Yeah, you know that's my source."
1: That's that's a, that's a legitimate source.
0: Um,
1: I, mean, I don't know why you're that's downplaying all it, is. it. But and so, go on.
0: You know, it is what it is. Um, for whatever reason, this team can't win at home. Or I should say, really, a Puente coach team can't win at Lane Stadium consistently, which I just uh, I've never been able to understand. But then. You move away from that game, Tim. You go into Georgia Tech. Yeah. They looked better.
1: Definitely better. For? I, I still have issues.
0: For three quarters, they looked two and decent. Half, two and a half? The third quarter, they looked really bad. Um, yeah.
1: Two and a half, I think.
0: You know, I think... Um, I, don't, I don't know if it was poor Georgia Tech defense... Um, where guys were running wide open. But what I think part of it was, was Virginia Tech has has found a running game.
1: Yeah, that's the key.
0: You know, with with Malachi Thomas, you know, he carried the ball 25 times. That's the most a running back has ever carried a football under Justin Fuente um, at Virginia Tech. And he had 103 yards, and Blackshear added 14 carries for 183. So the team had a total of 237 rushing yards. And what happened. Love it. There were a ton of plays that opened up down the field. Guys running wide funny open funny how that works. It's either I don't know if they were schemed open at times, I don't know if it was just blown coverage. I don't know if the receivers made a good play. It is what it is, but there were a ton of guys running wide open. Trey Turner yep. most notice noticeably. You know, he had two plays over sixty yards. It was the first two plays of the year Virginia Tech had of fifty yards or more. So that just shows you how bad <laughs> this offense has been. We're
1: eating over here, baby. It's week game
0: eight, week nine. And you don't have a single play over 50 yards? And you play in the (laughs) ACC?
1: And Um, you play in the year 2021? Hard hard to really
0: kind of fathom, but the team had a season high in yards at 491. They had 329 of those yards at halftime. But what really kind of stood out to me, Tim, um, wasn't the end result. And I didn't watch this game live. I had uh, my daughter's four-year-old birthday party. Priorities. So I went back and watched it. And I I already knew they won. And so I'm watching it. And at the end of the game, I'm like, how did they only win this game by nine points? Like, it felt like they won that game by three touchdowns. That's what it felt like to me at the end of the game. But they only won it by nine points. Yeah. And it was really that third quarter, early fourth quarter, that really could have flipped the game the other way. Had after that big Jameer Gibbs run for 60, 70 yards, whatever it was, and then the Virginia Tech defense coming up with the fourth and one stop. Had that not happened, you know, Virginia Tech easily could have lost that game, a game in which they just could not put away. It felt like they had so many opportunities to just put it away, put it away, put it away. And they just couldn't do it. They couldn't get in the end zone. So that was kind of my biggest takeaway. I mean, great to win. It's always great to win. Get back to 4-4, 500, stop the bleeding. You know, gives you a little bit of momentum. Still got a shot at the bowl, which really pains me to say that. You know we're we're going into game nine of the season and we have a shot at the bowl, um, but yeah, that's uh, we, the reality of Virginia Tech football right now. Um, but
1: we got a streak to restart.
0: It's it's uh, you know Georgia Georgia Tech is not a, a good football team. They're a young team. They're a developing team. I think Jeff Collins has them moving in the right direction, but. Just watching that game, you just I left it, and I was like, you know what? This team, they won great. They should have won by a lot more points. And you play a better opponent, you lose the game, which is what we saw the previous three weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean you hit on it. You know, it's interesting. You see a lot of the stuff we've been screaming for, a lot of fans have been screaming for, which is use your 11 running backs properly. Seventeen. Please establish the run at some point in the season. And finally, our prayers were answered, largely because of the game Malachi had last week against Syracuse. I think the staff finally felt comfortable establishing the run. Although, you know, I would argue, regardless of Malachi's game last week, they should have been working harder to establish the run in the previous games because of the pressure on Braxton. And, you know... It's the elementary aspect to that that really drives me nuts is that we shouldn't be this far into the season realizing this or making these changes. I mean, this should be something that's addressed within one game. Yet here we are, and we have to be, you know, we have to act surprised when we see Braxton, who struggles the th- throwing the football, who all year we've kind of just ignored our stable of running backs, and to finally see success offensively. In a rough offensive season, when we finally used the running backs, and here's the thing about the success that Braxton did have, the throws weren't good.
0: The throws weren't good. They didn't. He he made a lot of throws that had a lot of room for improvement. You know, could it easily hit some guys in stride? there, there were a couple good throws in there, but for the most part, you're throwing to wide open guys, and he can't, he can't hit them consistently.
1: Right. But my, my only thing there is. If you want to get your guys more wide open, and we've had wide receivers that have struggled with separation all year, heck, not all year, multiple years, help the guys out. Establish your run game. It couldn't hurt. And, you know, I liked what I saw from some of the play calling. I think we were making good strides um, to see Braxton have success, regardless of when you look down at the microcosm of the individual throws themselves and critique them, what you could do and you probably should do, and that's fine. Um, The bigger issue to me is is something we still haven't solved at this point, which is halftime adjustments kick our ass every single time. Yeah. You know, we went in, I think Braxton went in what was it, two hundred yards at half? And maybe he ended with two fifty one or something like that. Yep. I mean, and it's not like the game was out of reach. We were it was a one score ball game in the fourth quarter. And it shouldn't have been. And and that, that frustrates me because these are issues that I see ahead of time where, yeah, Georgia Tech's not a good football game or a good football team, and we shouldn't be having these issues against Georgia Tech. I mean, to have the offense stagnate, stagnate, well, the country came out on that one, stagnate to that extreme is concerning, and it wouldn't be as concerning if we hadn't seen this rerun every other game for the past three years. And, you know, that's what frustrates me. You come out like a like a house on fire, and come halftime, the the opposing defensive coordinator at least figures out how to manage the game somewhat, and we have no counterpunch. Um, I want to establish that counterpunch. I want to be the team that doesn't need the counterpunch. We, We don't have that killer ability to step on someone's throat and keep it there throughout an entire game. And at year six, in year six, against the Bees, that's when you should be able to squash them. And we haven't been able to do that, and it's very frustrating. Well, I mean, it was, um, just,
0: it was just more horrible play in the red zone. I mean... Of, of course. They stalled on three separate red zone possessions. Yeah. Um, and they were able to get some, some field goals out of that, but it's like, how, how many more weeks is it going to take to figure out these red zone issues? Um, which, to um, me, it's just not going to be figured out. They can't execute no. in the red zone so i don't really know what the deal is there but you know it's just it, it goes back to this team and what's so frustrating about this football team is there's talent on this football team
1: 100 percent.
0: whether or not braxton is an elite passer or not we know he's not right but athletically he should be able to do enough to keep you in games the way that virginia tech's been using him hasn't been ideal Right, no, um and you you look at their record, and they're four and four, and they've literally lost three games because of coaching, yeah, and then they almost lost this one because again, they can't get it done in the red zone, and I mean, to me, it kind of you know the Syracuse game, like I said, sealed the fate, um I don't know if you saw this, but the the one thing that I found interesting was. Um. There was a photo of Witt and Fuente at the end of the game, and Fuente just looked like, you know, a five hundred pound gorilla had come off his. But it looked like he had just won the freaking ACC.
1: <laughs> like, I saw that picture. I and Witt just like just picture. giving
0: him this like big hug and. So. You know. I'm not looking at it negatively or positively, but it either stood out to me one of two things. Like, one, they've already had a combo. I don't think Fuente's told the team, okay? Because if you tell the team, it gets out. There's no way you can tell a team full of 18 to 22-year-olds. No. And that stays in-house. No, you wouldn't do that. No, it just doesn't happen. Um. Witt keeps everything very close to the best, so does Fuente. Um, and, you know, it was just more of a, you know, Wit felt good for him. You know, he's obviously not rooting against Fuente. There's no reason for him to. No. Um, but at the same time, it's like, <sighs> what if Fuente reels off a few wins here? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are we doing? Yeah, what are we I doing mean, here? Is this is the Wit Fuente relationship like the Fuente Corn relationship? That's kind of like what I looked at that as. As again, I'm probably just looking into it too much, but those two looked very happy um, for one another. Um, and at the end of the day, like I said, like you said, Virginia Tech had to win the Coastal this year. You know, yeah. Pitt just lost to Miami um, anybody in the Coastal can, can lose and they had to win it this year um, because it was their best shot to win an ACC title and they couldn't get it done and they're not going to get it done they could still get it done, it's not going to happen um, but getting to that bowl game would be important for the program being some kind of internews, you know, interim situation most likely but I just saw that and I was like I don't know just it put it well, put a I mean, little bit of doubt in my in my mind. It,
1: rightfully so. I mean, I think I think that's a natural reaction. My issue with it more was why are we hugging like that after beating Georgia Tech? Um,
0: it it looked like a reaction to winning the ACC championship.
1: Right. So it's Georgia Tech guys. I mean, first of all, calm down.
0: They lost the North Carolina this year.
1: Pump the brakes. We don't need to celebrate like that after beating Georgia Tech. I mean, you could have gone with, like, the calm, you know, maybe a little handshake into a one-armed hug type situation. I mean, that would have been acceptable. I'm not going to be the handshake police or the emphatic hug police. That's that's not my role. Can you imagine um, Nick Saban
0: smiling like that after beating that Georgia Tech football not, team 26 He would be
1: so mad he wouldn't be able to think straight. <laughs>
0: he would I mean, literally I would fear for look like his head was about room. to burst on the sideline.
1: Amen. He would. I mean, he would have a little vein popping. He, right he'd there.
0: look like Max Scherzer getting ready to go out on the mound.
1: Like, that's horrifying. Just out
0: of his mind insane. That's how he would God be responding.
1: I wouldn't want to sit next to Max Scherzer during the ballgame, man. He's way too amped.
0: But, I mean, that's just kind of... I don't know. It's just a weird, a weird vibe in Blacksburg right now. But I think going forward, you know, the good news is... You've only got one more game at home, uh, which seems to be a positive uh, for, for this football team and this coaching staff. Not sure why, but yeah. they don't win at home. Um, that game also happens <laughs> to be against Duke. Right. And I, I swear if they lose to Duke. Coach Cuddy. Uh, Malachi Thomas, you know, they, they have seem to have found um, a back from a... Pretty run of the mill three star grade, true freshman coming in. First freshman running back with back to back hundred yard games since Kevin Jones. Um, that is
1: what they call a good omen.
0: Was um, you know, with the this new rushing attack, it should open up the offense. You're going up against the Boston College team this week that really struggles to stop the run, so that's positive. Um, You play in the ACC, so you've always got a chance. Positive. yeah. Uh, John Parker Romo seems to have found his stride kicking. He's, he's looked much better.
1: That's huge. Congratulations um, to John Parker Romo. That can't be easy from a mental aspect to come back after such a poor start. Um, so props to him. Shout out to Trey Turner uh, while we're giving out props to people. I don't know that I've had a favorite Hokie uh, in the last 10 years. Um, he He's a top five Hokie of all time for me. Uh, Trey's been dealt some tough cards um, I think in regards to uh, his ability to maximize his talent things certainly haven't been easy and for a guy that could have called it quits and transferred many times um, to be able to see him play so well on a weekend week out basis is is just a treat for us in a season that is bleak otherwise Um, shout out to Trey because man that kid's a highlight reel I mean, you go back to that back-of-the-end-zone catch he had earlier this year, somehow getting one foot down before he flew out of bounds. Some of the stuff he's done is just eye-popping. And I don't think he gets the credit he deserves nationally. And a lot of the lack of credit nationally stems from variables that are outside of his control. So I just wanted to shout that out. Trey Turner, you're the man. Keep doing what you do. We love you.
0: Top five all-time is a bold, bold statement. But, I mean, I, I will oh, say no, for sure. no, no, I'm
1: talking top five favorite for me. Yeah. Top five favorite. I'm not getting into a top five no, I know. best Virginia I know, I know. Tech football player. I know,
0: still a bold statement to me, but...
1: I value loyalty.
0: Um, I mean, if you look at his numbers this year and with how poor Virginia Tech has been through the air, I mean, he's had a pretty impressive season, so that's what i mean um, you know he uh you know he has been one of the 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 lone one of the few bright spots on offense so i mean he's 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 had his ups and downs this year but for the most part it's 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 been ups so it has been good to see him kind of come through it um some of the bad news you know miami looks like they're hitting their stride um Tyler van Dyke seems to have found his you don't think so counterpoint
1: is it bad news if Manny Diaz is retained because of this
0: no I mean I was thinking about that because I I think how long has Manny Diaz been there now three years this is year three and so if you think about it it's college football right so you look at the first recruiting class he gets isn't a full recruiting class And so, essentially, you've got a bunch of either sophomores, maybe a junior, really by, with the COVID year, sophomores, freshmen, true freshmen on that team. And I was thinking about Tyler Van Dyke, who I believe is a true freshman.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, that to me is an endorsement for the type of guy that Diaz can bring in. And what Diaz has done well is pull guys out of the portal. And so you mix that in with recruiting and being able to find these kids. I mean, that's, that's been kind of the issue with Florida State, right? Not to say, like, Willie Taggart, they should have stuck with him or anything, but they've got these fast triggers on these coaches. You know, you give a coach three years, well, you, you just you just wasted three years. You just – you, you dump the water out into the ocean because what you've yeah. done is you've taken three years of that coach's recruiting for his system – You've brought those kids in who are barely acclimated to the program. For the most part, freshmen and sophomores aren't contributing at a high level to a program of a, say, of a mature Miami program. And so, really, if you want to really see it through, give the guy at a minimum four years, ideally five. Now, not all things being equal, you should be able, you can be able to kind of see the writing on the wall, but what I'm saying is, in Diaz's case, is they've struggled to find a quarterback. They brought in De'Aaron King last year. They went, what, 9-3? and three? Yeah. And then De'Aaron King wasn't right all season. And then they had to go to a true freshman quarterback who, you know, outside of Central Looks Connecticut great. State, you know, <laughs> struggled for a couple of weeks, was making some true freshman mistakes, and now all of a sudden yeah. they're winning games. He's catching his stride. So I don't know if it's like, you know, I, if I'm Miami, I'd give, I'd give uh, Diaz one more year. But, uh, you know, assuming that they finish I mean, out they're, the year they're strong. They're
1: working their way into that, right? And I think I think with Diaz, finishing strong is going to be key. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, I don't want to say culture issues, because I hate to throw everything under that umbrella, but something about that locker room hasn't seemed right, at least when you look into last season. Um, there's yeah, just been some issues stay. that it make you think It takes time that to get that out. It does. It does. But if you see another issue or that something's just not feeling right, I don't know, man. I mean, because the counterpoint to your argument with the three-year thing is if you know the red flags, and these guys in the AD know more of the red flags than we do from the outside looking in, if you see some of those red flags at three years, depending on the environment, depending on what the contract situation is looking at recruiting classes, you know, there's a whole bunch of variables you want to look at, but sometimes it is right to pull the plug after three years, you know, and I, I know sometimes ideally, like, I, you, sometimes you want to get ahead of that because yeah. then you run into the scenario where you can hang on too long and there may be okay. some things that are just non-negotiables that happens to a coach and... The next thing happens, recruiting starts to decline. The next thing happens, fan interest starts to decline. The next thing happens, donations start to start to to dry up, wow. and you're left six years down the road, and you're holding back now, man. hoping I mean, for things to get to better. Well, I mean that's true, and I wasn't talking just about Virginia Tech, even though I was using that year six as an example. But I mean this is any program I'm talking about here. You can do damage to your brand. You can do damage to your fan base, your donor base. All that stuff that can take time to rebuild. So at some point, it, it is time to, to, to pull the plug, strike while the iron's hot, while the fan yeah. base is still into it. At a normal school, Miami's fan base is never into it. I um, mean, you
0: can usually tell, right? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, and it I mean, should be D- Diaz should be. is not an X's and O's guy. No. Okay, he's not like he's not there for his coaching. <laughs> okay.
1: No. I, I hope not.
0: He's a recruiter. Okay, he's...
1: He's Mr. 305.
0: Yeah, he's Mr. 305. He's a guy who can walk in and sell you on the program. And, I mean, that's that's what you need sometimes as a college coach. That's what Urban Meyer is. Hey,
1: okay.
0: That's very clear now. Justin down.
1: Fuente could use a little more pomade.
0: Yeah. And, I mean... Slick it back. I guess Fuente's not an exes and goes either because he's not calling any plays. Um, but that's kind of what I mean. It's It's like... You know what Manny Diaz is. Okay, he's, he's not a great X's and O's guy, even though he's calling the defense this year. Defense has sucked. Yeah. I mean, he's a.
1: <laughs> I want to say he's a passable X's and O's guy because of what he's done in his career as a defensive coordinator, but even I'm starting to not be able to say that with a straight face. So,
0: go on. I mean, what what's the difference? And I'm, I'm being I'm being real here. What's the difference between Manny Diaz at Texas as their defensive coordinator and uh, Tony Elliott at Clemson as their offensive coordinator? The shades of orange. He had a couple years of success, then had a really bad year. And Mm -hmm. I got to say, like, you know, I, I think if these guys were great, great football coaches, look at Alabama. These Alabama assistants leave every single year, and they don't do jack when they leave. They suck, and I mean, you you watch it happen year after year after year. Then they all come back to Alabama. They all go back to their like a uh, interim, whatever intern, whatever the hell Nick Saban job title gives them as like a. Oh yeah, I'll I'll let you back in, but you're in the doghouse for thinking that you could go to Tennessee and coach you know or, or whatever but like this seriously a, like you've got question. so much talent at these programs you're cherry picking talent that you're choosing the talent the talent's not choosing you right yeah. you're turning talent away and then when things get a little difficult you can't execute
1: Right. you
0: have one of the worst offenses in the ACC to me Tony Elliott's stock has, I mean, it has plummeted. I have no zero interest in Tony Elliott as a head coach right now. And I, 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 I'm not saying he can't rebound, but I'm just saying, you know, you look at all these Alabama assistants, you look at these guys that have just eons and eons of talent, and it's about it's it's about the player a lot more in college football than it is about the coach. Not always, but a lot of times it is. Especially when you have five star after five star after five star lined up.
1: Yeah. I agree. I mean, how many good uh, coaches have sprung off the Bill Belichick coaching tree?
0: I mean McDaniels is any? too afraid to go back out on his own.
1: Well, I would be too if I were him. I mean, he literally accepted the
0: role as the for the Colts head coaching job and said, nah, <laughs> I'm gonna go back and beat Bill's Offensive coordinator. <laughs> That's right. yeah, um, yeah.
1: Well, part of me wonders if the way Sabin and Belichick and and those guys run the program, if assistants are guided in such a way that it stunts their growth or their ability to really understand what it takes to succeed as a head coach, and whether it has something to do with the way you know they run their particular assistant coaches and the freedom that they give them. I think I, I
0: think this is part of the deal, right? Yeah. You're you're an offensive coordinator. At Alabama. Your name's Jeremy Pruitt, for example. Okay. You can't go to Tennessee and be Nick Saban. Because you're not Nick Saban. So, guys aren't going to put up with that from Jeremy Pruitt. (laughs) They'll put up with that from Nick Saban because Nick Saban is a god in that room. On that campus. He is yeah. Alabama football in
1: that state. I mean, in that same state, thing with Belichick,
0: and I mean, you're gonna put up with something from a Bill Belichick or a Nick Saban that you're not gonna put up with from a Bill O'Brien or a Jeremy Pruitt. Oh man, Bill and it's just—I think that's part of the challenge, right? Because yeah, look at Matt right. Patricia in, in uh, Detroit. He, yeah, tried yeah. To be, he tried to be—he tried to be Bill Belichick. Matt, you don't. You haven't built that. You don't have that credibility to, to go in and command respect like Bill Belichick. You have done nothing other than ride on oh. Belichick's coattails.
1: Although I will say it's a shame Patricia didn't work out because I love the way he wore the pen in his hat. I do yeah. that when I wear a hat sometimes. And I like mean, when it's, I was it's unfair, unfair to TVs blame here.
0: anybody for failing in Detroit. So. In that.
1: True. Lines are cursed. We all know that. So I don't know how we got down that tangent, but...
0: Yeah, I just realized we haven't even previewed Boston College yet, so we should, uh, we should get a move on.
1: We've got to pick it up.
0: Um, I'll fly through the ACC Week 9 recap here. So Miami uh, beats Pitt uh, 38-34, whole lot of passing yards, uh, 519 for Pickett, three scores, two INTs, uh, both were, were pretty um, detrimental to Pitt's success. Uh, Van Dyke, once again, 426-3 touchdowns. And like I said, Miami, all of a sudden a team. They've got wins over NC State and Pitt. That's probably two of the top three teams in the conference right now. And uh, yeah. things are looking up for the old uh, old Hurricanes. You had uh, Florida State. Um, I, I hope nobody had Florida State covering because that was the biggest backdoor cover I have <laughs> ever seen. Um, with the meaningless fumble return for a touchdown at the end of the game that gave Clemson the 10-point win instead of a 4-point win. And just another one of those games where you're, like, you're watching Clemson and you're just waiting. And you're like, okay, guys, mm-hmm. today's the day. Today's the day you're going to do something. And nothing really happens. So um, unfortunate for them, 4-for-14 four on third down, but they get the win. They're still uh, 7-1, <laughs> aren't they? Or they lost twice. Somewhere around that. I, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just not, just not very good. Um, no, they've lost twice at least. Boston College at Syracuse. Three times. Boston College at Syracuse. Um, you know, Syracuse gets the 21-6 win. Uh, this was really the kind of game I expected from Syracuse and Virginia Tech, to be honest, but um, got it about a week later. Not a whole lot going on for Boston College these days. No, you know Patrick Garwo has been okay at running back, uh, but the quarterback position is really holding this team back. Two hundred ninety-three yards on the ground. Sean Tucker surely pleased with his performance, Uh, (laughs) running over uh, for over two hundred yards. Syracuse outscored Boston College twenty-one to three in the third quarter. Um, We on the Carter Heisman hype train
1: yet? What's up? We on the Carter-Heisman hype train yet?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, okay. um, I think I figured so. um Wake 4 is 45, Duke 7. No surprise there. Wake really good, Ooh. Duke really bad, and that's kind of what happens. Yeah. Uh, first time in school history, the Demon Deacons have uh, started 8-0. and We didn't talk about it last week because we didn't have a show, but Wake put up 70 against Army. Should be a fun game this week against North Carolina. And I think they
1: uh, cracked the top ten this week, they which did. is um, I don't know if that's ever happened. So
0: I don't think it has. Number um, number nine in the country, I believe. So yeah, um, big deal. Notre Dame forty four, UNC thirty four. Tar Heels now four and four. Um, they captured a lead in the third quarter. Uh, they quickly squandered it. Never recovered. Kyron Williams uh, had a ninety one yard touchdown run, one ninety nine on the ground. Um, UNC just not very good on defense. You know that's not that's normal. really all there is to it, and their offense is not what it was last year, so they're really struggling to uh, to really kind of stay in these games. So um, the disappointing season continues for for Carolina. NC State squeaks by Louisville twenty eight thirteen. Big uh, what was it? Big fourth quarter, Tim. You know, mm-hmm. I think Devin Leary had three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Uh, yep. what's going on with their running game? I mean, their running game has been struggling of late. Bam Knight was the leader ever since 23 yards.
1: Chandler Zavala went down, which was their second best offensive lineman, I would gather. Um, left guard, plays next to Ikiakuanu, uh, and it's just, it hasn't seemed the same since he went down, um, you know, NC State continues to deal with those consistency issues I mentioned on, you know, two podcasts ago now, where, you know, they're kind of struggling for offensive consistency. Um, they figured it out at the end. I, I think they had three drives at the end of the game that were uh, that were long and exactly what you wanted to see for the prior three quarters. But uh, the defense still compl- continues to play admirably, losing three of their best starters to this point. Um, Cyrus Fagan... Peyton Wilson all going down, C.J. Clark on the interior. Um, you know, they're bouncing back. I think Drake Thomas is filling in extremely well for Isaiah Moore, who was the leader of that defense, starting middle linebacker. Um, Drake has been everywhere. Um, and one of the, he's one of those players that just seems to have it when it comes to being around the football. But the bigger thing to me is, you know, Tim Beck looked conservative the entire game, uh, opened it up towards the end of the game. What do you know? They score points. The bigger deal to me here is that Devin Leary continues to play pretty good football quietly. Um, He's up to 21 touchdowns, only two interceptions on the year. Uh, And I think, you know, if it wasn't for Kenny Pickett, we'd probably be talking about Devin Leary being the best quarterback in the ACC. And, um, you know, those are the breaks. But as of right now, uh, 21-2, and some of the throws he made in the game against Louisville were absolute NFL throws. And um, NC State just needs to figure out how to leverage that arm more and uh, they'll get out of this offensive inconsistency issue they're having.
0: Last game of the week, uh, which was like at 10 p.m. Eastern time, which I don't know how Virginia got screwed with that, but um, on the road at number 25, BYU, 115 combined points, 66-49, BYU gets to W. UVA actually had the lead 42-38 at halftime. Then in the second half, three and out, then they had a nine-play 80-yard touchdown drive, a one-play fumble, an interception on the next drive, turnover on downs, and meanwhile, BYU scored four touchdowns on six possessions, uh, one of which was to, to run out the clock at the end of the game. So um, that's that's kind of the deal with, with UVA, right, is they've got the high-powered offense, but their defense cannot, cannot slow teams down now. You've got a team no. like Virginia Tech that can't move the football. I'm sure they could, you know, come yeah. up with a stop or two. But when you got an offense like a BYU, you know, it's a different story. So, um, still a big day for Armstrong. The thing to watch there left the game in the fourth with a broken rib. So that's something to, uh, to monitor going forward to see kind of how he deals with that. But that's it for, uh, week yeah. nine in the ACC, Tim. Let's jump over to the Boston College preview. So, um, a little uh Friday night lights ACC action in uh, in Chestnut Hill so four and four Hokies four and four Boston College Eagles um, I've really you know I've given Boston College the benefit of the doubt for for too long similar to how you keep you buying have. Clemson um, yes I, I'm very gonna put to I'm that. gonna put the Boston College bottle down I can't I can't do it anymore um, yeah. Since Dracovic went down with an en- injury, you know, they've been kind of a disaster. They've got four straight ACC losses. They're only averaging 10 points per game in those conference yeah. matchups. Uh, Dennis Grossell has been, well, gross. I mean, kind of gross, to be honest. <laughs> Six touchdowns, seven interceptions on the year. Really, the only bright spot on the offense has been Zay Flowers, who feels kind of like the modern day version of calvin johnson meaning great great talent at receiver but nobody to throw in the football um yeah. and you've got like a patrick corco who leads the team in rushing does okay behind an offensive line that's been good um struggling at times but there's just no threat throwing the football and um you know this is a matchup that is actually favorable for Virginia Tech, in my opinion. Um, they yeah. don't have a big threat at running back. You know, They've got an unstable passing game, and they've got a defense that you can take advantage of on the ground, which is yeah. how Virginia Tech can, can win games. At least that's how they've put up yards in the last two weeks. From what we've seen out of the Virginia Tech rushing game in the last two weeks, even though they're 1-1 one one in that span... They've they found a running game. So some of my keys to the game, Tim, you beat Boston College by running the football. And so, um, you know, Sean Tucker ran for 200 yards last week. You know, Louisville ran for 337 yards on 47 attempts. They won by two touchdowns. Clemson had 231 yards on 40 attempts. Those are three of the four losses they had in the ACC. NC State's the only team that didn't put up a big rushing number, had 130 yards, but then Devin Leary had 251 and three touchdowns through the air. So I'm, I'd, I'd be expecting a heavy dose of Malachi Thomas and Raheem Blackshear. Um, if the Hokies can't get the ground game going, which based off of what we've seen in the last two weeks, I'd be a little surprised. Um, yeah. It may be a little tougher, but I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on that one?
1: I mean, you're you're absolutely spot on. I think we've got kind of the template of how to play against Boston College right now. When you see the previous tailbacks and how effective they've been right now, the one-two punch of of Malachi and Raheem, it's perfect. You know, even though they're not quite thunder and lightning, they are two different backs, you know, and and I think they play well nicely off of each other, uh, especially when it comes to being able to run Raheem out on third downs for his receiving abilities. Um, and kind of work him in more creative ways into the offense. But, I mean, the big key here is to just maintain that consistency with the running game and to not abandon it if it doesn't work the first two or three handoffs. Because we've seen too much from this staff that the game plan changes from week to week, seemingly with no reasoning behind it. And this isn't a game where I want to see us have sub-10 carries each for Thomas and Blackshear. We need to do exactly what we did against Georgia Tech because that's the recipe to beat this team. And, you know, this is a game where, in theory, you shouldn't have to pass a whole lot. But if you take advantage of the the soft run defense, you're going to have options for Burmeister to hit, especially if you work in some play action effectively down the field. And you just got to make it easy on Braxton. And how do we do that? We continue to lean into the run game, especially when we have advantages there going in. And I don't care if this was a game against a team that didn't have uh, the same issues that Boston College has defending the run, I want to see us attempt to establish the run in every game we play from here until the end of the season.
0: The next uh, next key I've got is be opportunistic through the air. So, you know, uh, by the numbers, Boston College has the ACC's top, top defense. They're giving up 120 uh, yards per game. They've got uh, eight interceptions forced, only allowed seven touchdowns. I think uh, it's probably a little inflated for a couple reasons. One, you've got, you know, a really porous run defense, so teams don't have to try and throw the ball on you. Um, I'm not saying their, their passing defense is bad. I'm just saying, you know, I, I don't go into there like, shaking in my boots necessarily. Uh, Garrett Schrader had 48 yards through the air last week. Didn't try to throw the football really, though. Um So, you know, if you look at Devin Leary, like I said, he had 251. DJU went for 207. Malik Cunningham, not so good, 133. So it's been kind of up and down depending on who the quarterback's been. I wouldn't suspect that Braxton Burmeister is going to have any kind of great figure in here. But the key is to be opportunistic. So, you know, what they saw last week against Georgia Tech was plays opening up down the field. There is murmurs that... Trey Turner broke his sternum. Um, don't know if that's real or not, but it's out there if uh, if you look hard enough. Um, so not sure if that is uh, the case or not, um, but I'd imagine if it is the case, he is not going to be playing anybody who's had any kind of sternum pain. Um, yeah. Breaking your sternum is not going to be uh, fun to deal with, but we'll see what happens hopefully that's fake news um you know so we'll see but any anything you want to add to that one tim
1: no i mean i think you hit on it perfect man um like i said i want to see us establish the run i want to see us lean into it but we're gonna to have to take our shots and we just got to be smart about play design and smart about what throws to make and what throws not to make so if we can do that we shouldn't have too much of a and to make trouble, good throws is,
0: when good opportunities present themselves
1: yes have those two marry, and we'll we'll be doing good things but you know having seen a bit of the boston college pass defense um leary certainly didn't have too much difficulty with them um watched most of that game i, I like you i don't think they're quite as good as the numbers indicate um, i think that is like a product of the weakness of the defensive front there's no doubt. Um, but so you never know. Certainly with our quarterback my, situation, it's uh, My better last to be safe key to the
0: game here is Zay Flowers and not letting him beat you. Um, BC has a good offensive line, uh, so it will be challenging to, to get pressure on Grossell. I think um, the one guy that's the true X factor is Flowers. And if the Hokies... Uh, hold him in check I think they've got a really good chance to win but you know neither Boston College played two quarterbacks last week neither one of them had over 100 yards passing and Flowers had six catches for 116 yards so he's a dynamic athlete he can be the difference maker in a game like this um you know he's kind of like That's the incredible. Josh Downs of the UNC offense in week one to where You've got a bunch of question marks, but he's like the one guy who can break the game open. So um, that's somebody they're going to have to watch. Um, But that was my last key game, my key for the game, Tim. Anything you want to add there?
1: Yeah, you know, we just got to limit the big plays here. I don't, I don't see enough on the offensive side of the football here, especially given the one-sided nature of the Boston College attack to where we really need to be afraid of long, sustained drives. Um, I just don't think the running game is as good as it should be for them to succeed given that they're so one-sided. So stack the box, keep it tight. I do, I'm not too afraid of, of you know, our, our edge players outside of wanting to keep an eye on Zay. Um, but keep them in front of you. Don't give up the big play. I mean, if Virginia Tech would be in in hot water in this game, it would be because we got hit two or three times on some big plays and some busted coverages Um, because there's just not enough there to pose a consistent threat where you're going to have one of those 10-play drives that goes 72 yards and ends in a score six minutes off the clock. Not the kind of game I feel like we're going to see, only because they're designed to have those drives, given that they lean into the run, but they're so one-sided it's extremely hard for them to have success doing so um, and you know as, as far as we go this plays into our inability at least we struggle with um, the run on the interior uh, but I think the lack of a true threat and a consistent passing game is going to make it much easier for us to supplement our weakness in this case um, and so I, I'm hopeful we're, we're looking at a win here that should be fairly comfortable on paper it certainly looks that way um, but again Consistency has not necessarily been our calling card. And especially when it comes to a schematic standpoint, consistency has not been our calling card. I just hope that we don't overthink this and go with the obvious approach here because I think there's a a very, uh, uh, very heavily uh, suggested way to dictate this game. And we do not need to turn this game into something it's not, which is let's not try to showcase Braxton Burmeister here So what's your prediction? The Hokies are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Let's establish the run and let's play solid defense. And that should see us through. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm taking the Hokies all day as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I mean, I've been off the Boston College bandwagon since Jerkovic went down. Um, and it's only gotten worse since then as far as what we've seen from Grossell continues to get worse and worse by the week. Now we're seeing two quarterbacks in in Boston College really struggling to try and figure out how to get a passing game going. It feels like a really good matchup for us right now. Um, I say, Yeah, I've got uh, Virginia Tech winning this as well. um, This feels like a 28 type game to me. Thirty one. So I think it'll be closer
0: than... uh, and then maybe it should be, but um, that's kind of where uh, where I'm feeling this one. Let's jump. Sure. Uh, let's jump to some of the other games. So we've got Wake Forest at North Carolina. This is an out of conference game. For the record, um, UNC is a two and a half point favorite. Who you got?
1: Hmm. Weird. Well, I understand it, given Wake Forest's defense. um, 8-0, 4-4. They they have not been sharp, to put it lightly. Uh, But Wake Forest seemingly, yeah. Wake Forest, correct. Wake, (laughs) you could say that repeatedly, and I will not get tired of it. Mac Brown is sworn for Here's the deal. Wake Forest offense and the hype that is following that program right now, you're ranked in the top ten for potentially the first time ever we're going to need a fact check on that, but I think that's correct. You got North Carolina and a chance to continue this magical season. Mac Brown's not going to be the one to stop you i'm not I'm not feeling it you're you're gonna have to give me wake on that one um I feel like this may be something that I end up regretting yeah, going Wake as well. with the way that UNC's offense can capitalize
0: on weak it was defenses a, at times. I think it was last year they played, um, or maybe it was two years ago. But I'm ago. going Wake in this one. Um, and not a conference game that was fairly entertaining. Uh, I think it was two years ago because Sage Surratt was there and all that. Um, it's going to be very high scoring. I'm probably going to mm-hmm. take whatever the over is, um, but I like uh, I like Wake to uh, to keep it going. Uh, Pitt at Duke. What what do I think it's going to be like? What Vegas has it as?
1: What would you put the over under at? Real quick, take a stab.
0: It's probably like um, seventy four yeah. and a half.
1: I I know I know what it is. What would you think it is?
0: Yeah. That's that's pretty high. That's pretty high. But I mean, if you've watched these Man, two teams, you got like close it's literally like half, Wake so. Forest healthy. What was it, over seventy to fifty five against Army healthy. a couple weeks ago?
1: Yeah.
0: yeah so um that was having success yeah. through the air at times yeah.
1: insane
0: that was that was in you're, an, you're giving uh, up 50 to a triple you
1: option team man like
0: uh Pitt at duke Pitt is yeah. a 21 yeah. and a Paul half johnson was getting duke
1: hot half. watching that one <laughs> yeah
0: Yeah. This is a hard
1: one. This is a hard one. I'm t- I'm tempted at the 21 points. Um, give me Pitt. Duke's an absolute train wreck. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to understate how bad they are at this point. And you know, with with Pitt's offense the way that it is, you,
0: you should. Um,
1: their defense they're, will do enough. I mean, I'm, I'm not fire, trying to so. downplay or disparage uh, yeah, Duke I'm definitely too much here, but that is. I think this will probably be team. covered. So I'll take I'll take that. I had to guess. 21 points. Uh,
0: Georgia Tech at Miami. Miami is a ten-and-a-half-point favorite. (laughs) Tougher.
1: This is one I could see getting wrong here. Um, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Van Dyke. Uh, You know, he, he started off poorly. He's making some really good throws right now. Miami is riding Mr. 305 to a potential coastal title here. Um, I don't see Georgia Tech. I don't see the bees getting in their way. I'm not impressed with some of what I've seen from uh, Jeff Collins' in-game coaching as of late. Uh, I think he's got the program on the right yeah, track, as a you said. this is an important game for Miami just away, because but, it's
0: like, are you the Miami um, of old? Ten and a half. The I'm taking Miami all day. What happened I expect the last to two, weeks? two touchdowns. Or are you going to actually take a step forward? Um, I'll rescind my Manny Diaz comments and say fire him if they lose this game. Um, But, you know, it's uh, Miami should win this game. This would be the most Miami
1: loss um, of all time.
0: Ten and a half points. I'd I'd say four weeks ago, I wouldn't have taken Miami. I'd say after the last two weeks, I've got to lean Miami here. Uh, NC State at Florida State. NC State is a two and a half point favorite.
1: Yeah. NC State. Um, you know, I, I talk about their inconsistencies all the time, but they keep finding ways to win. Um, you know, they've, they've got two losses, one of them being to Miami in a game where Miami looked really good. And I think that's when we started to see the tide turn a little bit with Miami. And my opinion on Miami has changed a whole lot since then. Um, What I'm seeing out of NC State here that really gives me hope um, as far as the victory for the Wolf Pack is the defense, which shouldn't be playing as well as it is, just keeps having guys step up and play so well. Um, With a Florida State offense that I don't think instills fear in anyone, or at least it shouldn't, I see this more as a matchup of a mediocre offense versus what I see as one of the better defenses in the ACC versus an offense that I think is pretty good on the NC State side versus a defense that's still kind of just mediocre. So all signs, to me, point for at least a touchdown win for the Wolfpack, maybe even two.
0: Yeah, I mean, Florida State is playing better. Um, for sure. Definitely I mean,
1: improved from where they were.
0: They're better than than they were to start the season, for sure. So, um, But I still think they're going to lose this game by more than two and a half points. Um, so NC State seems like the easy pick. There's There's a few of these where I'm like, these spreads are making me uneasy, but yes. NC State wins one more game, I uh, I get my fifty bucks plus another fifty back for my preseason bet on there six and a half total wins yep. uh, trash line. So take advantage Terrible of that line. Clemson at Louisville. Clemson is a three and a half point favorite. Who you got?
1: Louisville. <laughs> oh.
0: You finally go against Clemson. They've burned me so much. I'm not I'm not I think falling for the Clemson trap. Is finally relative to where Clemson is at. Like this is a realistic line now. Like these lines have been 9, 10, 14 points. Like Clemson can barely score 14 points.
1: It's a reflection of exactly what we've seen all year, which is they they're finally starting to I mean their offense looks a little better. If they start leaning into Shipley in the way that they were trying to lean into DJU. A little. A little. I can see him breaking out, but I'm not picking it yet this week. I mean, I, I, like, I like Cunningham a lot on Louisville, even though he's very inconsistent. I think he's a hard quarterback to game plan for. I think Louisville has the athletes to match up a little bit with Clemson. <laughs> I think the, the easier games for Clemson are going to be against teams with not a lot of athletes. And while you're choking to death, I am just going to continue rolling here. Um, You know, I do like what I've seen from Shipley in that running game. So this does pain me a little bit to pick Louisville here. But I'm still, I'm standing firm with Louisville. I'm not going to overthink it. Clemson has spurned me too many times. And I will not sit here and tolerate this disrespect to my name and my betting record. I bet five or six of my losses are from picking Clemson. in in these games where they're not scoring any points so um never again clemson never again uh louisville all the way on this one
0: thanks for the stall there kind of yeah kind of lost it it there for a second i'm going clemson um i feel like louisville's fallen off a little bit over the last couple of weeks oh they have yeah um this isn't an endorsement for Clemson because I still don't think they're very good um, offensively, but I think defensively they'll be able to do enough to uh, to win the game by at least four points, which would get them the uh, the cover here. And fortunately for you, I don't have the the updated standings, so you'll save the embarrassment of your overall record. But what's You're your uh, what's your wild card game of the week?
1: Um, you know, Auburn-Texas A&M looks juicy to me at 4.5 points. Uh, I see Texas A&M taking that game. Uh, it's at Texas A&M, 4.5 points. I realize it's a really even matchup on rankings, but obviously Texas A&M been super impressive this year. So, gig them. Texas A&M at home, 4.5 points. I see that as a win all day.
0: I mean... How can you not You're go? Then covering
1: covering a spread of four and a half points at home.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I like it. Um, I'm going, Ole Miss Liberty. Lane Kiffin, Hugh Freeze goes back to uh, to Oxford. I don't like
1: that. <laughs> You're gonna have like to tune into that one.
0: That's spicy. Um, I'm in. Liberty is an eight and a half point dog. I think Lane just just lays it on him. I think oh, eight and a half points 100%. is not enough. That line seems a little low to me. Um, so yeah, I like Ole Miss to uh, to run Hugh Freeze and Malik Willis back to Lynchburg.
1: Oh, and you know that's gonna be oh man, they are going to take so much pleasure in that. Yeah, um, and and I agree that line is they're giving Liberty way too much credit on that line.
0: Kind of like they're getting and that's the not to close too much liberty. But,
1: yeah, I agree. You know, Which has been a theme for.
0: It's a, wee, it's a the weak quarterback class this year, in my opinion. We
1: also need to discuss the fact that Satterfield may be as annoying to watch on the sideline as Pat Narduzzi. And we don't have to have that discussion today. I just want to make this season long observation I've realized well, is that he whines just as much as Narduzzi does. Yeah,
0: he, he is a whiner. He's also got some, like, certified psychos on that sideline that coach for him. <laughs> I mean... Have there you are seen some his OSHA violations.
1: I mean, it's it's literally just a highlight reel of OSHA violations pregame.
0: Yeah. It's like a bunch of guys who, like, really wanted to be in the WWE, but had to settle for, like, Louisville.
1: You're right. They're those guys that from. did the home video in the backyard wrestling thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's they, their they outlet a They were, is like, to an extra Louisville on a Kimbo coach. Slice street fighting video.
1: They're out of pocket, man. They're crazy.
0: Rest in power. Absolutely crazy. Kimbo. Yeah. Well, that's our uh, yes. that's our show for the day. Uh, any uh, any final words before we sign off?
1: No, no final words, except, boy, it's weird seeing you when we're talking. I'm going to have to get used to this, and uh, yeah. sorry for laughing four or five times as we tried to kick this off. That was, <laughs> for some reason, extremely hilarious to me, because I've yeah. never seen you live do that before, and... Um, you know, we'll get better at this. I as haven't either. The time goes Personally,
0: on. I've never recorded myself doing it on video. Oh, oh yeah. I uh, I've got it, so I can't even see myself on here. I just minim- minimized the window, so I have no idea. That's what That's actually I'm, smart I'm at.
1: because I'm having a hard time. I keep looking at both you and my screens.
0: Am I even I'm in talking? the frame? I don't even know.
1: Yeah, no, you're you're half the frame. You're gallery view. So okay,
0: half great. The frame. Yeah. Well, that's our show for the day. We're obviously talking about uh, the video recording, so check out the YouTube channel, Chowder and Grits. Uh, that's where these will be posted if, uh, if you want to watch us on video or, you know, watch it on your computer, whatever you guys want to do. And then, of course, the traditional uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, we're just glad you're listening. But, Tim, why don't you tell everybody what they can do for us?
1: Leave us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Keep logging in on the Twitter sphere and talking to us during game days. Our apologies for the last game day as I was moving and telling movers where to place furniture. Uh, Justin was celebrating birthdays with beautiful children. And we just didn't have the time or the capacity to be tweeting too much. So our apologies. Um, But again, keep interacting with us. Tell your friends. Leave some five-star reviews on every platform you listen to. Even Podbean which I don't know why we... If you if you listen to Podbean, shout us out because I don't even know what that is, but I know we put out a link every week. Pod,
0: Podbean is our... It's essentially what's shooting out the RSS feed to everyone. Ah,
1: it's an RSS feed. I have no idea what that is, but that's what it's doing. So keep RSSing until uh, your is your content. We appreciate it.
0: All right. See you guys later. Go Hokies and uh, talk to you next week.
1: Adios.